Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? It's good to be here together and worshiping our God. And there is joy in the house of the Lord today, isn't there? Love the words of that song that we sang and the old Rich Mullins, Sometime by Step, that we close with. Before we get going, I just want to pray. God, uh, we live in tumultuous times. Uh, Our news feeds have been plastered this week with tragic things. We see what's happening in uh, Afghanistan and many uh, service members are feeling the weight of losing men and women in service. Uh, There's uncertainty, there's loved ones that are still left over there that long to find their way back to the USA. Uh, There's uncertainty for many, God. But God, we know that in your arms and in your hands, you control the world. And we're confident that you're not surprised by what's taking place. You've been fully in control. And before the foundation of the world, you knew ahead of time this is where we would be as a nation. And God, there's disunity. Uh, There's... Christians against Christians, there's people standing against people with vaccinations and mask and no mask, and it's a time where we need heaven down truth. And so God, I ask that you would bring that to our hearts, and I pray that we would focus on you, Jesus, and that we would not lose our way on this gun lap, on this race that we're in because of all the things that are happening in our world, but we would speak with wisdom and we would lean on you. I pray for our president and all those that surround him as they make decisions in regards to Afghanistan. I ask God that you would direct, and I'm confident in the promise that we have, that you tell us that those of us who are Christians, that you promise to work all things out for good to those that are called and to those that know you. And so, Lord, we rest on that. I pray for peace in our hearts and peace in our country. And I pray that, God, through these times, that more people will turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of this race for us. Please, Lord, may we see a fresh revival now more than ever than we've ever witnessed, read about, or heard about. And, God, I just pray that you would come quickly and rapture your church. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to walk through this letter from the veteran Paul on his last leg, most likely Paul was in his 60s. Tim, a young up-and-coming pastor, probably in his 20s. It's the veteran saying, this is what I've learned. These are the things that I can pass on to you. And as we get near the, the beginning or the end of his life, He's beginning to unpack these important truths. Today, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, don't run the race alone. And think about this for a second. Don't run the race alone. He's reminding him that he needs friends in this race. That the Christian race wasn't meant for you to be on a solo sprint by yourself. That life is better together that God put us here for community with others to take the gospel to the nation. Paul, seated, chained in a prison, is writing to Timothy that it's important that you surround yourselves with good friends. 
You will need friends to endure. You will need friends to make it in this race. And not only need friends, but be a good friend. I've said this, but in context of this message, it's so important for us to remember this. You can go faster alone, but farther together. We need to live in community and take people with us so that when we go, God calls our number and numbers our days, we leave, the mission doesn't stop, and all that we've learned, we can pass down to someone else. Hopefully, you will experience that in your life. And hopefully, as it is in my case, your greatest friend, if you're married, is your spouse. I have no closer friend. She's my confidant. I confide in her. I love doing life with her. We share life together. But it's also important that you surround yourselves, men with men, women with women, that you have friendships too. And let me just say this. Men, husbands, free your wives up to have friendships with other ladies. Wives, free your husbands up to have friendships with other men. I watch it happen often at funerals. I see someone pass away and then the spouse is left behind. Just recently in our, my lifetime, I've witnessed many, many times. And life insurance is important, husbands. Make sure you set your wives up to win. Make sure that when you pass, there's life insurance there that'll assist her, keep her going, so that she doesn't have to be concerned with what you've left behind, all the bills and all the responsibilities. But even more important, the greatest gift that you can give your wife is friend insurance. The kind of friends that'll come alongside and be there for her when she's uncertain, when something breaks down in the house, when she's uncertain how to fix something or where to go to, make sure that you have friends that you've invested in that love you so much that they are willing to come alongside of your wife. Friend insurance is much more valuable than life insurance. Timothy has a lot to say about friends, or the book of Timothy does, and Paul articulates this. Open your Bibles and we'll read it in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 15 to 18. I encourage you to stand as we get ready to read this. 2 Timothy 1, verses 15 through 18. Would you stand with me? Let's read it together. Verses 15 to 18. Ready, read. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You may have a seat. Paul is looking at Timothy and saying these words, real simple. He's looking in this context and saying, select your friends carefully. It's important who you invest in. It's important who invests in you. Just a little context here. Sometimes we lose sight of how this was written and why this was important. During this time when Paul was in prison in Rome, Nero was in rule. So he ruled the country. And he had legislation in place that if a Christian was in prison, as in the case of Paul, that if someone came to visit, another Christian came to visit a Christian that was in prison before their death, 
that the possibility exists that they would be in prison just for visiting them. And so when they would come, stories are told that they would just grab them and throw them into prison too. And often if you visited a Christian in Rome that was in, in prison, that you would lose your life. You would be next up to die. Think about what it would mean for a friend to come visit Paul. It meant he was taking his life into his own hands. And Paul is looking at young Timothy and saying, hey, I feel alone, I am alone. In fact, I feel like the whole province of Asia, by the way, that's a big province. He's saying, I feel like everyone has deserted me as I'm in prison. In fact, not only am I certain it's taking place, but Phygelus, who was with us, and Hermogenes, who was with us, who did the work, they are nowhere to be seen. When the going got tough, and it meant that they might lose their lives, they didn't keep in contact with me. It wasn't a good thing to be a friend of Paul and say, I want to visit you during this time. Imagine only getting your name mentioned in the Bible one time. And the very reason it's mentioned is because you deserted Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. When it became more dangerous to be his friend, they deserted him. There's also a word of wisdom here to young Timothy. People will say one thing, but they'll do another. Choose your friends wisely. That's true for us, too. Choose your friends wisely. Relationships can cause the greatest strife, yet bring the greatest joy. Amen? And he's reminding young Timothy, as you go into this spot, this new seat on the bus called a pastor, by the way, it can be a very lonely seat. Think about the driver of a bus. While everyone else on the bus is interacting, while everyone else is not really concerned with whether the engine is running, there are some that are. They have that keen sense of being aware. The driver of the bus is taking the bus in the direction. He doesn't have a seat beside him that he's conversing with. He sits in a seat alone while the rest of the people on the bus interact. And he's telling Timothy, this spot that you're about to take at the top will be a lonely place you will need friends, the kind of friends who will visit you even if it means they lose their life. I read a lot on friendship and relationship. I'm, I, I, I wanna be a good friend, I wanna be a good leader, I wanna be a good husband, I wanna be a good dad, I wanna, I wanna be a good brother and uncle and hopefully one day be a good grandpa. And so I read a lot, how can I be the best? And I dig into God's word and, and recently I read this incredible write up on friends. And this author listed four kinds of friends. And if you're a note taker, write this down. Because I think this will be important for you to develop good friendship. He listed four kinds of friends and they all rhyme, they're easy to remember. But he began with this kind of friend, a must friend. This is a best friend. This is a member of your inner circle. This is a person you count on when something big happens in your life. This is the person that you know that you'll go to if there's been a death nearby you. This is the person you know you go to when you fall miserably. This is the person who will stand with you through thick and thin. They are a must friend. This is the kind of friend who overlooks your broken fence and admires the flowers in your garden. This is a must friend. 
These are few and far between. But this friend is the kind of friend that Onesiphorus was to, to Paul. The second kind of friend is a trust friend. A trust friend is a friend who shows integrity, someone you feel comfortable with, that you've always, you're always glad to see them, but not in your most inmost circle. Perhaps someone you like to be closer to, but time and distance separate you. Every once in a while they appear on your radar screen and you don't realize it until they appear again. When my stepfather went to be with the Lord 12 weeks ago, we were back in Hagerstown, Maryland, and we were there for the viewing and so he requested a closed casket and so the family was able to take one last look at, at my dad. It was a special time in that room as the family spent and we shared and we, we cried together and we laughed together and, and then we closed the casket. So it was a few hours before the funeral this took place. And during this time, this man walked in from the back of the funeral home in this 30 by 60 room. He had traveled quite a distance to show up. And he came because he said, Jim, I heard that your dad died. And I just wanted to know, let you know that I care. He drove the distance and he didn't even take a look at the casket. He just wanted me to know that he was there for me. That's the kind of friend, if I were able to, I would spend a bunch of time with. It's the person that goes the extra mile. It's the person who is a trust friend that probably would become a must friend if they were closer. This author also said there's another kind of friend, a rust friend. Rust takes place with distance. It's a person you've known for a long time. You're probably not going to get any closer to that person unless something changes, but they've been part of your life. There was a person that maybe entered your life and you're probably not gonna spend time with them and as distance separates, it becomes kind of rusty and it's not as valuable and, and, and the time that you spend with them is far in between and they're just a rust friend and they're just a friend that when you see them, yeah, hey, good to see you. The last kind of friend this author said are just friends. It's a person you see at a weekly encounter. Maybe it's someone that you work with. It's the parent that has a parent of the age of the child that you have, and you see them. It's the, it's the fan that you sit in the, the bleachers with or the football stands with when your kids play sports. And because their kids play sports and your kids play sports, there's a season of time where you're just friends because you're rooting for the same team and you're rooting for each other. They're enjoyable company, but you have no desire to socialize outside of specific context or to get to know them better. They're just friends. But Paul is looking at Timothy and saying, you need must friends, like Onesiphorus, not like Phygelus or Hermogenes, who left when the going got tough. So often here at Grace, we encourage you, we say, reduce your circle. While this setting is, is, is an, a great way to gather, and really it's a practice for heaven, because when we get to heaven, the church will be very large, <laughs> and uh, by God's grace, 
from all nations, men and women will gather that know him. You need to reduce your circle so that you find must friends that you can interact with. That happens in small groups. We love our small group. Ann and I have led a small group every year that we've been at Grace Community Church because that circle of friends invest in us. There are women's ministries and men's ministries to connect with. There's prayer encounter on Wednesday nights. There's, there's serving in the local church. It's doing blitzes together. It's Remarkable women in Fight Club and Dudes in Doctrine and Wild at Heart and, and Scripturated. There, there, there's, there's moms groups and you need to reduce your circle because if you don't, you'll get to the end or near the end of your final lap and you won't even have a close friend. Many women struggle to find close friends. Listen, Natalie has done a phenomenal job in her core team developing systems to reduce your circle. Join in and share your gifts with one another. Just prior to this statement that he's saying to young Tim, look at the verse prior to this. Look what it says in verse 14. He said, Tim, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. In other words, there will be times that it will be difficult to guard this deposit. You need help. You need an attaboy from someone. You need someone who says, I believe in you. You need someone that will stand with you and fight. Don't go in this race alone. Surround yourself with Onessa forces. If you don't, your fire will soon go out. I believe Paul, as he's writing this letter, Many commentators believe it's the last of his 13. They believe that this was his final writing. I believe he was feeling the effects of being alone. Yet it didn't let him stop him from keeping his fire hot and mission on target. My wife has had a passion for pastor's wives and just recently over the last 18 months because it's a different seat to sit in. And until you sat in a pastor's wife's seat, you have no idea what my wife deals with day in and day out, week in and week out, month in month and year after year. It's a different seat. It's, you have to sit with someone who experiences what you experience so they experience it. And so she has begun this brand new ministry with our fellowship of churches and it's called Thrive and she has given her heart to it and she's had Zoom calls and, and meetings. She's, she's got, she has these ladies who are acting as shepherds for other pastors' wives and, and, and there was a gathering at our pastor and, and, and ministry conference we held this summer and that room was packed full of pastors' wives who said, thank you. We have people who understand us. It's lonely at the top when you sit as a business owner. It's lonely at the top when you're a principal of a school. It's lonely at the top when you're the coach of a team. It's lonely at the top when you're the pastor of a church. And Paul is saying to young Timothy, surround yourselves with a must friend who understands, like Onessa Force, who's willing to come to visit you in prison, even if it means he will lose his life. Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi, not very 
far from this time. And I want you to turn to Philippians chapter one. Look at Philippians chapter one and look at verse 12 of Philippians chapter one. Look what he said here as he was in prison. Even though he was in prison, he said this. Now I want you to know, Church of Philippi, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more or confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Even while he was in prison, the guards themselves still heard the gospel. He remained on mission. Paul was probably, let's be honest, he was probably a challenging person to become a must friend with. Why? Because he demanded a lot from other believers. He spoke the truth boldly and sometimes it put people off. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth in love, but those that were around him soon found out that he dearly loved them and wanted them to thrive in Jesus. There are passages in scriptures where he had conflict with other believers because he believed so strongly in the mission that God had called him to, and he wanted other men and women to fight to death and not be lazy on their gun lap. And so it was challenging to spend time with him. And so there were moments where people would probably leave and they were ticked. But then when the spirit of God got a hold of them, they realized, you know, what he said was true. And I love him. And so Onesiphorus was willing to walk through all these quirky things about Paul because he loved him. You see, when one man stands courageously for Jesus, it strengthens the spines of others, and there is no doubt in my mind that Paul strengthened the spines of others. The whole palace guard knew what his mission was. He didn't let the desertion of friends move him to a pity party for himself. He just said, Phygelus left me, all of Asia's left me, Hermogenes has left me, but the whole palace guard still knows about Jesus. It didn't stop him from his mission. He was a man on a mission. He was willing to reduce his circle. Friday night I watched tons of men come down to the lodge and many of them were in vehicles and two and three and four and five guys in a car and they made their way down and because of the investment of men and other men reducing their circle, their friends, co-workers they invited, I was able to share the gospel and there were men that were there because other men were there. And I kind of shared my story of how my stepfather stood up and, 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 and he changed the direction of the trajectory of my family and my mom's life because he stood for Jesus and because he was willing to change his trajectory and trust Jesus, the generations to come, my generation, and now our children and Lord willing, their children will follow Jesus because one man was willing to do so and then I gave man a chance to trust in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about this. Hundreds of men, 1.30 in the morning, 
And I ask them, if you trusted in Jesus tonight, to stand up. Ten men stood up on Saturday morning. Yes, praise God. But you know how that happened? Someone cared enough. Some dude cared enough to travel and bring him. Some dude cared enough to invite him. And I pictured as I left at 3.30 in the morning, Saturday morning, and drove away with a grin on my face and joy in my heart. These men came lonely, but they left with Jesus. And God was with them and will be with them the rest of their lives. You see, even though Paul was physically probably wiped out and lonely, it didn't deter him from the mission. And because of his faithfulness, many would come to Christ. A recent study, 2020, showed that loneliness is not just making us sick, it's killing us. I want you to listen to this. Loneliness, the article said, is a serious health risk. Studies of elderly people and social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interaction or friends were twice, twice as likely to die prematurely. It said that it can even impair the immune function of their body, the antibodies that are built up. And loneliness and isolation and these case studies that they were doing over 2020 had boosted inflammation of the joints. The joints of these people were swelling up because of loneliness and the stress of being alone, which has led to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Why? Because they were isolated and left alone. God has built us for community. Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. The reason we gather is because God has built us for community. And Paul's saying to young Tim, listen, listen, make sure you choose your friends wisely. Make sure you have friends who will pour into you and you pour into them. He says, I'm on my final lap. I made the last turn, and there is this man by the name of Onesiphorus. He remained with me, and because of his encouragement, I am still here today. There are plenty of practical steps to take. I like what Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's a very convicting statement in regards to friendship, he said this, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Who do you call when life turns upside down? The first place to find healing from loneliness is God, not somebody else, by the way. Jesus is with you Because finding someone else is not a permanent solution to emptiness or loneliness. Only Jesus is. That's why Paul was able to endure in prison. There is great danger in feeling loneliness with someone. When we make friends with Jesus, you will never be alone. 
Minerth Meyer, who, who are counselors and psychologists, Christian psychologists, studied loneliness and people and friendships, and they said this, people who have constant bouts with loneliness often fall into overly dependent style of life. They said an overly dependent person becomes excessively distraught if he or she is rejected by someone. Because they're dependent and their identity isn't in Christ alone, when they become too dependent, they become distraught. The study said by Menerth and Meyer, they cling to people, sucking up all their emotional energy. They even get to a point in relationships where they expect others to fulfill their needs for them, and we call them EGR people in our circles, extra grace required, or VDPs, very draining people. And the reason is, is because they long for community, but they're sucking the life out. They're not giving it back, and their identity alone is not in Christ. They make unreasonable demands in the causes and it causes others to retreat from them. I have no idea why history says why Phygelus and Hermogenes left is because they feared for their lives. Think about this. The Bible is littered with passages that God is with us. Joseph's story is full of it. When his brothers threw him into a pit, he was all by himself in the bottom of this pit. It says in the text, but God was with him. What? <laughs> it didn't appear. The good news is when you have Christ, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with you. And when he, he was accused by Potiphar's wife of, of making advancements to her and she lied about it, he was thrown into prison. It says, but God was with him. And every time he got in prison, it says God was with him. First place to find healing from loneliness is God, not somebody else. Good friends can be your lifeline. Look how he says it here. Here's what, here's what Paul said to, to Timothy. Look what he says in verse 16 again. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anessa Forrest because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And then he says in verse 17, look how he says. He said, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched how, what's it say? Hard for me until what? He found me. And he said, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And he says to young Timothy, you know him well. You remember how he helped us in Ephesus? He is always there. He never left his side. He didn't let hardship, difficulty, and I'm sure there was tension with Paul. I'm sure there was times that his friends disagreed, but they never left him. Vanessa Force was that kind of friend. Let's face it again. Paul was 110% in for Jesus and there were disagreements along the way. Every single letter of Paul's began with greetings to his friends and with personal love and affection. It just became dangerous to be Paul's friend Friendships are not always convenient and often they're costly. He's telling young Tim, choose wisely. They can be time-consuming and hard. 
and they often require forgiveness and sacrificial love. But most worthwhile things in life require sacrifice. One person said this about friendships. You can always tell a real friend when you made a fool of yourself, he doesn't feel you've done a permanent job. He forgives or she forgives and moves on. My heart breaks for Paul. Maybe just a little bit I relate to him. He has devoted the last 30 years of his life to ministry. He's in prison. And the people he thought would still be with him have left him. Ministry's hard work, he's telling young Tim. It's not for the weak of these. In fact, it might cost you your life. And it did. It cost Paul his life. But he's reminding him, make sure you get friends that will be with you till the end. Paul's life is a picture of the grace of God, his Damascus Road experience. I mean, think about it. He is probably the one that put into legislation in Rome that if you were a Christian, you were thrown into prison and eventually you would die. Now the very legislation that he helped, maybe agreed to or assist to, is going to take his own life. Because now he was all in against Christians, now he's all in. He was an all in kind of guy for whatever the task was. That takes a unique kind of friend who loves regardless. And Oness of Force was a breath of fresh air to him. Timothy is reading this and he's, yeah, I remember in Ephesus. Yeah, he was a good friend. Yeah, I remember him. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 is a good reminder to us is God is not unjust that he will forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Solomon says over and over in the, in the book of Proverbs that I've read a hundred gazillion times, a generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. You know what I'm talking about. In the quietness of your own car or the quietness of your own home or when you're all by yourself after you refresh someone, the joy of a smile brings great dividend to your heart, doesn't it? As you smile, when you drive away, you are tired and weary because you gave everything you had, but a life has been changed and you smile in the midst of the wait. One person said this in regards to friendship. He said, you have three kinds of friends. You have friends for a reason. This includes many friends we meet and have connection with. A lot of our friends start as this kind of friendship, then are cultivated and grow. These are the kind of people we work with or exercise with, but something happens, something clicks. There's a reason that it, you were brought together. So you have friends for a reason. You were forced to be with them. And often those relationships can grow. The second kind of friend they have, three of them, are friends for a season. They're the least favorite kind of friendship because friends forever would work better, but friends for a season 
are there for a short while and then they move on. Maybe it's because of maybe decisions that you made. Maybe it's because they moved. Maybe it's because they no longer agree with you. But while they were there, they were friends for a season, but this relationship is no longer the same. Most have experienced friends for a season and now recognize in life that some friendships exist for just a short period. But then there's friends for a lifetime. They are the type of friends that hang with you no matter what. No matter what storm comes your way, no matter what disappointment, no matter what sin you commit, no matter what disruption comes along, and Paul is saying, Tim, find Onessa forces. That's the kind of friendships you need. We usually have associates and acquaintances that we know for years, but deep friends, friends for a lifetime, are those that see us, know us, get us, and still love us. (laughs) You have those kind of friends? I, I, I do, I have a few. Like, they get me, and they, I would say, they put up with me. And you know what, I love them to pieces. This summer, Ann and I were traveling to Lake Tahoe to take a vacation, and it's a beautiful place, by the way, if you've never been there. It's the first time for us. I I didn't realize how gorgeous Lake Tahoe and and, uh, Donner Lake is and the mountains, and there's hiking trails, and, and there's mountain biking trails, and there's ski slopes, and we stayed at a condo that her sister owns there in one of the resorts, and So as is the case for all of you, flying can be quite interesting these days. So we were flying from South Bend to Dallas-Fort Worth and then on to Reno and drive 45 minutes to Lake Tahoe to the resort that we were staying at. So we got to South Bend and soon found out that the plane would be delayed. Every plane's delayed right now. Let's just face it, it is. It's just, and, and so we got there and found out it was not only delayed, but it was delayed again and we got to spend six and a half hours at South Bend International Airport. <laughs> Praise God. Like, there's only so much chocolate you can eat there. <laughs> but you know, we're okay. We're okay with that because, hey, we're going to Lake Tahoe. By the time you get there, it's gonna be good. In fact, we kind of respond to that stuff anyhow. We have a choice to respond to. So they rebooked our second flight to Dallas-Fort Worth And when we finally took off, we realized when we land, the boarding was already taking place for 20 minutes, which meant that Ann and I had to run from one end of the airport to the other end of the airport. Oh, so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) So we finally get there, and by the grace of God, that flight was delayed too. (laughs) So we get on, sweat dripping all over us, taking a seat, and everyone's COVID crazy, they went, not thought we were sick, they didn't want anything to do with us. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just out of breath. <laughs> and finally, we get into Reno, and we drive to Tahoe, and we had a great, great time, and Josh was able to come for a couple days, too, and spend with us. But we had to get back to South Bend International. So that morning, we had to check out our condo at 11 o'clock, which, which meant we had to get the rental car back at, at, at a certain time. So we got to Tahoe or Reno, and we ran the rental car in, and I had on my app, I looked, I said, Ann, you're not going to believe what this flight's delayed to. <laughs> and we looked down, and so we don't have a rental car, and you, you ever been to Reno? There's nothing there. Right at the airport, nothing there. We can't get there, so the airport's small. 
every restaurant was closed because of COVID. It was just a glorious day. Let me tell you, it was just great. <laughs> and we soon found out that not only was it delayed, but it was delayed for seven hours. Very set in Reno. <laughs> for seven hours. Just praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> so as we're seated there, we had to fly back, and we realized, went to the counter, and the lady said, I, your next flight, there's not another flight that can get you back to South Bend. Is there an airport that's closer? I said, how about Fort Wayne? She said, no. I said, well, how about Chicago Hare? She looked, she said, well, we can leave in the morning at 6 a.m. We're trying to fly out at 7 at night. I said, well, I, I don't want to stay here all night. We don't even have a car. I said, if you can get me to Chicago, I'll find a way home. So she says, well, here it is. So I went online, I'll get a rental car, okay, from Chicago Hare to drive back to South Bend so that we get my Jeep and go home. I went to every rental agency in Chicago Hare. Zero cars. <laughs> zero. <laughs> Did I say zero? <laughs> so you know what that meant? We had to find a way to make it from Chicago to South Bend. But our flight was coming in at 1.30 a.m. So who do you call at 1.30 in the morning? You call a friend who is willing maybe miss a day of work, who's willing to be inconvenienced so you and your bride can be driven to South Bend at 4 o'clock in the morning so you can get home. So I opened up my phone and I asked this question. Who do I have in my circle that if I call them, they won't be put off or it won't be an inconvenience to them? Who is my must friend that would make it work? That narrows the list, guys. And Ann and I prayed. At that point, I said, honey, let's just walk. <laughs> <laughs> we got four more weeks of sabbatical. Let's just do it. <laughs> That's a hard question to ask. Do you have those kind of friends? Are, 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 are you that kind a friend that's going to get a call from Jim that says, hey, I know this is inconvenience, and I know that I'm sorry, but could you pick me and Ann up at the Chicago airport at 1.30 in the morning? So I texted Mark Spade, and he responded back, yes, absolutely. So Mark made his way in the middle of the night, found Ann and I, and drove us to the airport. That is a must friend. Are you that kind of friend? Paul is telling young Timothy, surround yourself with people who aren't there just for a season, 
and a reason before a lifetime. You can run faster alone, but farther together. I think we all can grow in this area. If the world will know we are Christians by our love for one another, then will the world be one to Christ because of our love for one another? Paul is breathing his last breaths of life. And there is no doubt in my mind that when that gun went off, he is sprinting to the end and giving everything he has to get home to Jesus. We all need to learn from Paul and Onesiphorus Our lives are here not for ourselves, but to be given away. And the last time I checked, the gospel comes with a house key. What do I mean by that? That means open your home, open your life, open your schedule, keep your garage doors up instead of down in your communities. Be a person, a friend that's hospitable, that is willing to drive to an airport at 1.30 in the morning. God said in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. (laughs) There's many reasons it's not good for men to be alone, but anyhow... He made Eve for community. It's not right for people to eat every meal by themselves. It's not right for a family member to be left alone in a nursing home all by themselves. It's not right for a person to not have helping hands in a time of crisis. It's not right for a spouse to be left alone when her husband dies. It's not right for a person to be in prison all alone without any visitors. It's not right to have no one to confess your sins to and they will still love you and forgive you. It's not right for a person to have no one to laugh with and to cry with. It's not right to call ourselves Christians and shut our eyes to the cries of the poor. It's not right for you to stay away from the gathering of the saints to worship. I suspect, if you're anything like me, that you were convicted by this message. I suspect that maybe some of you have been friends for a reason and friends for a season, but not a friend for a lifetime. I suspect that some of you are rust friends and and trust friends, but not a must friend. 
Maybe if we be the kind of friend you want your friend to be, then the world would be one to Jesus. Paul sat in a lonely seat. It never deterred the mission. He never had self-pity, but he was reminding him, surround yourselves with good friends in order to run this race well. Oh Lord, we probably have some work to do. We, we probably have much work to do. I pray, God, that our names would be the kind of names when people reach for their phone and they begin to peruse through their contact list that our names would surface to be there when someone needs us the most. May we be those kind of friends who understand that the gospel comes with a key to our house. We're grateful, God, that you were that kind of friend. That you were willing not only to love us, but to give your very best when we were at our worst and to offer us your love when we had turned our backs on you and Jesus came. He is the picture of a must friend. May we look more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Now listen. Listen. I know the Spirit of God speaks. And if he has spoken to you, listen to me. Don't hesitate. Respond. See you next week.